0: Welcome to Fantastic Books and How to Read Them,
1: the fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books.
0: We're your hosts, Sam and Anna. And let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam and Anna. And we're live <laughs> covering chapters 34 through 39 of The Wise Man's Fear. Woo! Last time we left our favorite characters, it was horse time! Yay! And we're still riding the high of that success. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, for a while, Kvothe's luck changes back to swinging in the good luck direction.
0: Yeah, he's definitely on the up and up.
1: Yeah, so these chapters coming up are going to be much more upbeat and happy than his time of strife. (laughs) Yes, for
0: sure. Any announcements before we get started today?
1: I don't think so. Just reminding everyone that our posting day is now Wednesday, which there's nothing you all can do about it. <laughs> so it's not really that important of an announcement. So uh, I awesome. guess we'll just jump right into chapter 34.
0: Sounds good to me. Chapter 34, baubles. Now that we know that kavoth has the...
1: The receipt? Yes, thank for the you. Ring.
0: Yeah. Exactly. I'll Fr- just
1: take the words out of your mouth. Yeah, you can totally discussed.
0: All right, here's the microphone. Take it away. <laughs> take it away, Ern. Um Yeah, so Kavoth starts going over to Imray to a couple of different jewelry shops to collect Denna's ring.
1: He got back to Ankers. Remember there was that boy who didn't deliver the message properly? Useless. Continued to be useless. So Kavoth does not have a message from denna so he's hoping that the ring will kind of make amends when they get their paths crossing again yes so yes as sam said he goes over the road and is trying to figure out which jewelry store it's in but his approach is to essentially go into any and every jewelry store he can find and say in you know his very pompous impression is the ring done yet yeah are you
0: finished
1: (laughs) which is exactly what he pulled with the tailor shop in book one
0: yes great callback
1: yes so calling upon his stage training and thankfully on the third shop which you know three is the lucky number or whatever Yep. bingo he gets someone who knows what he's talking about
0: a couple interesting moments happen uh while he's in this little shop getting the ring for denna he notices a very familiar emerald teardrop shaped necklace Ugh,
1: yes one that we last saw around Denna's throat <laughs> It uh, sounds I know. so scary like but i'm you know she was wearing it
0: yeah weird language choice because it's Me? like no 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 oh, <laughs> i was just being goofy but um anyways um he notices the emerald necklace that uh lord kellen had gifted denna yes.
1: at one point and she had so the matching earrings too
0: yes it turns out that Dena was there a couple span back and she pawned it or sold it to yeah. the shop owner.
1: Who's like kind of judgy about it. He's like, oh, such a shame. The things that bring a woman to do this. It's like, dude, if people are poor, they're poor.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: like, sorry, everyone can't afford jewelry.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, he's clearly out of touch.
1: I mean, he works. He's probably not. And probably a
0: sales tactic, too, to be like giving it value. Because if it was like, oh, I wonder why someone would just get rid of it. You know what I mean? He's like.
1: Yeah, like, oh, if I purchase this, then, like, indirectly, I've helped someone, too.
0: Mm. He then connects the dots, and Kovoth realizes, oh, my God, she literally sold this to finance
1: the, the loot case. Yep. That gift is all the more valuable, because he found out how much... She sold it for, and he was like completely blown away. Yeah. Speaking of money, Ambrose did not pay for the ring in advance. No. So, good thing he stole Ambrose's purse as well last chapter.
0: Yeah, because so he can pay for this. Comes out to like a talent and six. It's a little steep.
1: I thought he said 45 pennies.
0: Yeah, which equivalates to a talent and six jots. My mistake. All good. So, yeah. I'm really not sure what this shopkeeper did that was worth that much, other than maybe cleaning and polishing a ring, but apparently... Oh,
1: I assumed he like took the gem out and put it in a new setting. Oh. Like, basically buying a new band.
0: Interesting. I guess that makes sense.
1: So, I don't know much about Dana's past, obviously, but the shopkeeper says it's a beautiful stone. He doesn't say anything about it, it was a beautiful ring. Mm. So, I'm assuming... She must. The ring, I think, uh, is obviously very sentimental, and I think she probably sold the band that it went into at one point. So it was in cheap metal. Gotcha. And I think Ambrose was re-putting it into nice metal.
0: That makes sense. Okay.
1: I'm just guessing.
0: No, I like the logic.
1: Yeah, it all kind of works out in this chapter. Yeah, both gets the ring. He knows kind of how much Denna cares for him in terms of like how much she paid for his loot case, which is kind of an important factor in their friendship because they never really talk about how much they like each other so i think the act of kindness really hit home when Kavoth knew how much she spent on it and how pressed she always is for money
0: yeah so no this was really like she showed him how precious he is to her by doing something so kind exactly after his little interaction with the shopkeeper and claiming the ring Kavoth heads over to the Barrel and Boar, which is where uh, Denna offered to have dinner with Kavoth.
1: Yep, in the note.
0: And it ends up not being an inn, but it was actually a restaurant. And uh,
1: so she's obviously not there. Yeah,
0: and so one of the employees that works there was like, "Oh yeah, she's waiting for you a while." And I kept thinking to myself, "Who'd keep a woman like that waiting?"
1: Kind of rude. Yeah. So. Well, anyway. yeah,
0: I think kind of put the heat on and make him feel guilty. Yeah. But, again, classic Kavoth can never find Denna when he's trying.
1: No. And is there a reason for it? Is she secretly an Amir or a Shandrian? Or are we all just as confused about Denna as we always have been?
0: I think that's just her, like, personality quirk. I think she's just destined to be an enigma. Chapter 35. Secrets.
1: This chapter is so important.
0: More like secrets revealed, if anything.
1: Yeah, I wonder what kind of what the secret...
0: Well, there's a big... There's multiple. And actually, I can think of two, but I want to wait till we get to the parts in the chapter to talk about it. So, we have Kvothe, uh deciding to head off to the fishery, do some uh, honest work, and clear his head.
1: Yeah, so he can, you know, deal with Elodin's nonsense. <laughs>
0: later on. And um, as he's walking there, there's like a hooded girl who like makes eye contact with him is all like, hey, you. Camille! like just all sketch and he's like what the hell's happening so he like follows her like down the road and like behind um
1: like a glass blower's shop yeah and a clockmaker's shop
0: and she lifts the hood of her head and
1: <laughs> for some reason when you said lifts the hood i pictured lifting the hood of a car
0: hey, hey Camille get in the car Camille
1: my transmission's <laughs> shot
0: well there's a problem. And so finally, we figure out who is the girl that's been going around the university looking Looking for for a red-haired man selling charms.
1: It's the girl from Trayvon. Nina. Which, Kavoth can't place her initially, and I'm pretty sure in book time, it's only been, what did we say, like three to four months?
0: I think like maybe at the most six months at this point, because it's been like a whole term at the university since.
1: All right, I'll... I take it back, because, like, you and I worked retail for so long, think about if you had an interaction with a customer and then had to remember them six months later out of that context, I guess it would be hard. Mm,
0: yes and no. I feel like he had a pretty important conversation with her. Granted, he was exhausted and, like, hit his head the day prior with the Dracus, so...
1: Yeah, which he does kind of bring up in this scene, like, he mentions to himself yeah, that, that his time was a bit fuzzy, so... Not sure why he can't place her particularly well, but whatever she's here, and she's got such good information.
0: She's got secrets revealed she's and got so the goods. she produces this really cool like horn that ends up being like a a parcel that opens up, and she painted on paper a picture that was basically the Chandrian vase that she had. Three, again, the magic number three, consecutive nights of dreams of this vase and, like, what was on it.
1: And three figures she could see on the vase. At a time. Out of eight, not seven.
0: I know. Well, seven Shandrin and then the one Amir that's on there.
1: Right, but remember I had said at one point that eight comes up equally as often as seven in the books, and we just had never been looking for it?
0: You did, yeah, a couple episodes back.
1: Yeah, so this is one of those times.
0: Ah, eight.
1: So there (laughs) (laughs) there it is
0: and so one i kind of it's all rather convenient she's having like these repeated night sleep dreams of this vase this whole
1: thing is very feels very like curated like something out there is kind of causing this to happen it's
0: very like real life storybook moment for this book but then again that's the major theme in this book is that the real storybook moments happen in real life. So,
1: oh, I was wondering more like if there was some kind of Fey involvement.
0: Oh, there definitely could be in
1: her dreams.
0: Yeah, I don't think like her brain was like, "All right, dude, we're splitting this up into three parts." Like, I think there's definitely some otherworldly forces like at work. Like,
1: yeah, there's just something going on because she was saying too that she was really nervous. And, like, sleeping terribly. And then she remembered the amulet Kvothe gave her and put it under her pillow. And that's when she had, you know, started to sleep really well and had these dreams where she could remember the vase. Mm. So,
0: Well, I think the amulet, too, probably, like...
1: I mean, it's kind of a, just a placebo.
0: Yeah, like, also kind of uh, what I was going to say was kind of reignited her memory of, like, meeting Kvothe in the fire Trayvon and just, mm-hmm. like, a day or two prior seeing the vase. So I think it was all, like, right, kind of sparking that.
1: I don't know. It just seems like she should have been caught by now painting all this or shouldn't have remembered as much as she did. That's all. But she gives a ton of information to Kvothe, which is really, really helpful. Yeah. Do you want to describe what's on the picture?
0: I do. So it ends up having pictures of Cinder Mm -hmm. on there with the coal black eyes and um haliax haliax and the interesting thing too is he has like two candles in his hand
1: and the moon above him
0: right and so i think that plays a big part into this because when we talk about the creation war and how eax or yes. Jax or Haliax, however you want to look at it, stole the moon.
1: Right, they're all connected. And
0: there's phases of the moon where it's in the mortal plane or in the fey realm. I think that's a big indicator.
1: It could also be like, you know, when there's a new moon, mm-hmm. like there's you can't see the moon. I'm wondering if his candles relate to like new moon versus full moon and he somehow has a power from the moon that allows him to manipulate the shadows and maybe allows him to transport back and forth because like just saying what if it's full moon in the human realm while it's new moon in the fey realm because it's fully in one and out of the other and maybe that's how he can go back and forth Sam's jaws dropping oh
0: my god that's awesome all right that's way cooler than i was thinking i was like okay well like one candle signifying the fact that like mortal realm shadow candle for fey realm but also the fact that he manipulates the darkness and the shadows the way flurion does in the Fae realm. Oh, my God. Things See, are happening. See, all connected. That's cool. <laughs> that's connected. cool. I'm stoked. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah,
1: so I think, like, the Fae realm is connected to that shadow candle, but I think he can also, like, manipulate, like, think of shadow as a thing and not as, like, yeah. like think of it as a place. So if he could manipulate sh- where shadow is, like, he can probably, like, create little portals into and out of the Fae realm, and that's probably connected to the moon and the moon phases.
0: Awesome. Super duper cool. I love it.
1: But this is also where I pulled a ton of information when we did that fan theory episode Mm. of him being connected to the moon, because this is our only kind of image representation of Haliax, and if you're not as believing the logic that Haliax and E-X are related, then this is like another connection, like another piece of evidence. Yes. There's also some stuff about Cinder being near water, which is something we didn't know before either.
0: Right, so I don't know if it has to do with the Chandrian sign, or if... Maybe the water is, like, misrepresented. Like, maybe his sign is the blue fire.
1: Mm. And she thought that, like, the water, or what was blue fire on the vase was water. Mm. Wasn't there also snow, she said?
0: Yeah, actually, she says that there is water and drifts of snow around him. And I don't know if it was supposed to, like, illustrate his, like, snow white hair.
1: Maybe? Can he manipulate the cold? Is that one of the signs of the Shandrian?
0: Uh, they do say things do get cold, I think at one point, but don't
1: I don't think it's usually mentioned as one of the signs though, mm. so I'm not too sure,
0: yeah, i'm not not positive, just interesting though, could um, it have
1: anything to do with lightning? Because remember he's related to that lightning situation, Wait, oh wait, never mind, could calls cause lightning Ignore me, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so I'm not too sure about that, but one thing I did want to quickly bring up um mm-hmm. so with this whole chapter theme being secrets, yes, first off. It's a secret that she's there to see him.
1: Yeah, it's Kvothe's secret that he technically did sell an amulet, even though he told Kilvin he didn't.
0: It's a secret the fact that she saw the vase and didn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. It's a secret that she went into the church in her hometown, took pages out of the book and scraped them out in order to use it to draw the pictures. Yes, And it's a secret... That she had these dreams, because I don't think she's telling anybody else. I don't think so. So, mad secrets.
1: Yeah, there's just no new secret. Like, it's not like they've made a secret themselves or anything. Mm,
0: No, unless this meeting is a secret. secret Oh, I guess it is. So, I think it's a very appropriately titled chapter.
1: Yes. Speaking of secrets, the third figure on there is the Emir, and they are quite secretive.
0: Yeah, secret of the secret too. I believe uh, this one's a Sirede.
1: Yeah, so like this is the f- second time we've heard of Sirede because the other time is when Ari called Kvothe Sirede. Yeah, we haven't heard of them any other times. And this we? is more of
0: a visual confirmation too.
1: It also kind of talks more about like what the Emir are. Mm. So the third person. He's got a shield and he's got insignia that's like what Kvotham initially thinks is a a leaf, but it's actually like a tower in fire. That's on fire. And he's holding his hand up and he's got like red all over him.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if it's like the tattoos or like... like I think
1: the girl says she thought it was blood, but it's supposed to be their red tattoos.
0: Yeah, and so the hand's up in like reproach and he's looking angry. And so even though it's a Telen church in her town i know like the Telen priests kind of um denounce the emir from the Telen church because they were had too much power so they wouldn't learn about it but the way nina sees uh Siride, or the emir, she thinks he's like the a bad worst guy, of them yeah and it's like no he's actually like the intended hero
1: are they though that's the
0: thing <laughs> are they though and so i like this because it's a It's all perspective.
1: It's all perspective, and we're getting all our information through Kavoth, who, obviously, in his mind, Chandrian are bad. Emir are the heroes, but there's no real other, like...
0: Supporting evidence.
1: No. Like, he's like, oh, and at the end of this chapter, even, he's like, I know my history. The Emir were, like, the shining gem of the church, but they're not anymore, Mm. and... They're quite distanced from the church, and later on, we find out that they're from Felurian, that there were no human Amir, like true Amir. Right. So, who is this group? Are there multiple groups of Amir? Are they all the same? Do they have totally different goals? Did are the true Amir Fey, and then this church group name themselves after them? Like we don't know, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting that this girl is like he's the worst, like his face is so terrible to look at. Although there is some sort of, like, biblical imagery when, like, things are so imbued with the power of God that they're, like, too terrible because they're so force like, powerful. Mm. So that does seem sort of similar there.
0: And it would bring things back to a modern coat where Folly, being the sword hung up in the Waystone Inn, this whole time, like, thinking the Shandrian are the villains and, like, the Emir are the heroes and that he's off to destroy the Shandrian.
1: Oh, jeez. (laughs)
0: i know such a rabbit hole
1: complicated and um and that's
0: why i love these books there's so much speculation
1: yes for anyone who just uh is on our facebook page i posted a link to a reddit thread talking about whether or not Kavoth is an emir intentionally or unintentionally and what that might mean for him as a character so that's pretty cool too oh yeah there's so much to unpack with the emir but i think it is really awesome and helpful to get this kind of physical description and like signs associated with two members of the Chandrian, the two that we're most familiar with yeah and nina does mention a couple more she says there's like a woman with no clothes
0: and a broken sword
1: a broken sword and a flame yeah which are those things associated with Tarbulin the great or am i mixing things up now
0: i'm not positive i might have to do a little bit of research
1: okay all the books are running together. <laughs> when Aragorn forges the broken sword, he will be king again.
0: <laughs> and he escapes Azkaban.
1: Ah!
0: There is a sweet little side note in here that when Nina cuts uh, things out of the Book of the Path, you have a story that you want to talk about.
1: Oh well, this is <laughs> this came up today at work. So I, as I've mentioned before, I work for a museum and I manage all of the collections. And I just started with my summer interns, and one of my summer interns is doing a project where she's kind of reviewing all of the objects in our collection that relate to 17th century religion, so we can do some programs and educational work with those. And so we got out today what was supposed to be a Bible. Someone had cut it up. Stop. Oh, the Bible is also from 1618. Um, so someone had cut it up. And we just had some of the pages, but that's how we received this book. And we were sitting there, like, really frustrated, obviously, because you only have part of what we thought we were supposed to have. And this will only make sense to people who work in museums, if there's any out there listening. But, like, sometimes a page had two pictures on it, and the pictures on one page were given totally different catalog numbers, even though they're one object, and it was just making it really complicated. So we were like sitting there, like pulling our hair out, trying to find all the paperwork for all of the different images in a book. And then I was just like thinking about how I would feel so bad. First off, cutting up such an old book, but also cutting up a religious book just feels like, I don't know, it gave me like weird feelings. Yeah. And I was like, even even a book of another religion, I don't think I would feel comfortable Cutting up. Like, I don't know, it just made me feel weird. And then today I was reviewing the chapters and she was like, Oh, I just cut up the holy book. And I was like, Oh, don't (laughs) do that. You just shouldn't. Yeah. But she does, it's kind of funny. She says that she got the pages because they're like nice vellum versus regular paper. And she'd been practicing on bits of wood, so this is definitely like a big improvement for her. And even Kavoth mentions that he would never be able to afford such a nice piece of paper. But because she didn't want to you know do too much bad she scraped off all the words except for the names of tello and his angels <laughs> so they're still on the piece of paper um so that's also where for a lot of fan theories we know the names of taylor's angels some of them are mentioned in this chapter yeah so that's kind of uh some extra information there but yeah she she wasn't scared of that and she wasn't really scared of the shandri but at the end of their interaction she goes <gasps> I'm late! My mom's gonna, like, spank me if I don't get home, or whatever. And so she, like, runs off. It's <laughs> just, Kaboth thinks it's, like, highly amusing that the Chandrian, who are, like, you know, the crux of evil, don't really scare her, but her mom does.
0: Yeah, just a very, uh, humanizing moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and he mentions that she can always find him at Ankers if she ever needs to find him again. And I love,
0: she goes, I play music there, and she goes, is it magic music? Because some people think so, people and I love think that. So. I but think...
1: then two lines later, he's having kind of internal dialogue about that line Halleck says, "Who keeps you safe from the singers, and the Sith, and the Emir? And he's thinking about the Amir, but you know, singers is right in there. And two lines above that, someone asks if Kvothe's music is magical, and we always talk about how his music is connected to his naming, so it kind of is magical. Yeah, which is cool.
0: Very great concept i love that
1: yeah and just like the way it was written so close together even though it seemed like a total non-related topic nina gets going and Kavoth has so much to think about with his new piece of art Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) chapter 36 all this knowing to celebrate the success against the campaign against ambrose aka
1: heist heist night
0: um (laughs) The boys head over to a couple of different bars and taverns and just get their drink on.
1: Yeah, they're, like, bar hopping, essentially. Yeah. But they end up at the Olean, like, their main their main bar, essentially.
0: Yeah, and it's just, like, cozy, fun vibes of, like, everybody's getting turned and having a good time.
1: Yes, and eventually both ends up up on the stage to perform. <laughs> yes,
0: and I do like this because there's a song that he plays that sounds like a tongue-tie. Oh, yeah, and, I couldn't
1: say this when we were reading.
0: Uh, yeah, he plays a song called uh, weather with he with the with the he," <laughs> which is like what? <laughs> what? Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Wither with he with the with he.
1: <laughs> what does that even mean?
0: I have no idea. And it what's cli- a
1: withy? Is that the last word? W- yeah, d- e-, e. Yeah, I
0: don't know what with that e? is. Is it supposed to be like an old English like phrase of like with he?
1: I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we yeah. can hardly say it, much less King we King. hardly
0: can say it sober, let alone Kavoth being turned and just nailing it. Apparently,
1: Google says Withy is a village in Wisconsin. So,
0: in the four corners of civilization, <laughs> we talk about modern Wisconsin. Oh yes, it's the Fey realm. <laughs> it's the
1: portal to all.
0: What's behind the foreplate plate with he
1: <laughs> Wisconsin Yeah, party time. It's kinda of like how in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy the Meaning of the Universe is what forty two?
0: Forty-three.
1: No. It's either forty two or forty-seven. But that was forty-three. Let me quickly googling again. Forty-two. Oh, okay. Don't know why, but Forty-two it is. 42 in Wisconsin. We got it.
0: Data map. Point. Analysis.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But they end up getting like, you know, really drunk, having a really good time, just riding the wave of the evening. And then they start to head back on to the university. Yes. And they're just like stumbling drunk and like having a good time and just being friends.
0: Also, it's funny because we've all had really drunk nights, but I don't think I've ever, I mean, great to have like lost things, but I've never been like amnesia drunk where like every few minutes like kvalt is going like
1: where's my loot oh yeah he brings it up what what does it uh we'll say like six times or something yeah yeah he keeps asking where his loot is which he left behind at the alien so it would not get harmed but it's like a common thing throughout the chapter he keeps asking where it is and and he keeps going did i sing and clearly did not remember all these songs he sang to everyone and there's like a funny part where they talk about like he sang this even really raunchy verse about of uh, tinker
0: tanner yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. with um the goat no with the Telen priest and the what is it the bull it's a
0: sheep and then he goes it was a
1: goat
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah he's like mortified because he can't remember what he did even though it was just like within a couple hours ago and Raunchy behavior and like just a wild night of drinking, but it seemed like the crowd was in the same way that night, so it was no it harm, no foul. Fine, yeah.
1: But the, the last time he sang a raunchy song was "Jackass, Jackass," and that really it had came repercussions. Back. <laughs> yeah. So, but they come along to the Old Stone Bridge, and it's so big that they like decide they don't want to cross it. Which I don't know if it's just like they're drunk and it's too much work to climb that high. But they said it's four or five stories high, so it's absolutely enormous. This yeah. bridge which I didn't realize at the time how impressive it is, that it's, like, obviously a handmade stone bridge, so that's gigantic. But they decide they're going to, like, stop and rest, and Willem kind of leads them off to the side into this, like, little clearing, and Kvothe and Sim kind of, like, raise their eyebrows at each other, because I think what they're implying is that Willem takes girls in here. (laughs) But it's a clearing with a little, uh, not a little, a big gray stone in the middle. Yeah. And Kavoth just feels like at ease, he, he has like the association of Greystones being places to stop, but at the same time he has kind of mixed feelings about it, obviously because of what happened with his family, but he goes to touch it, like goes up to just put his hands on it, and Simmons is like, no, no, don't do that, they're uh, like, they're bad luck. Yeah. Then they get into this debate.
0: Where Simmon's convinced that they're like pagan relics.
1: Yes, and Kavoth says they are markers of an old road. Yes. So they decide, they shake on it, they decide they'll go to the archives tomorrow and sort it out and see who wins. But Mm -hmm. they bet like a jot on it or something. But it kind of sparks this question from Sim about whether or not Kvothe is really a Demaru. It's obviously a touchy subject and Kvothe doesn't have any family, so he doesn't really talk about his past at all. And he says normally, like in any other situation, he'd be kind of insulted by this. Mm. But coming from Sim, then Sim's just kind of wondering, like not... There's no implications to it. He just wants to know. And so Kavoth says he is and like they start talking about his past a little bit.
0: Yeah. He explains that like the Edimaru, although they're like nomadic in nature and all, appreciate like music and the arts. They're not like the stereotype of like them prancing around like modern like equivalent of like fiddlers and like, you know? Yeah. And so he was saying just we're people.
1: One kind of interesting thing that he brings up too is like, we're people and there's the things that bind us together that we're like, we're nomadic, quote unquote, we play music and everybody hates us, which is really sad. Like there's not, you know, defining characteristics that everyone expects out of these stereotypes.
0: Right. Like just because they have no one place that they consider home, uh, society has scapegoated them as just being like vagabonds and like mooches and ne'er-do-wells
1: yeah and i don't know if it's in this chapter or the next but even kvothe brings up like there was a part i think it's a couple chapters from now but like the Aeturan empire like hunted them down and killed them for a hundred years yeah so they're definitely like the target of a lot of societal and political anger which is unfortunate
0: yeah it is really sad and so while Kavoth is talking about you know, being a Dimaru, he talks about his parents for the first time. Yes. And he tells a story or a song that his father sang about his mother. I'm not going to go into the full poem just because it's lengthy, but, and we've covered this in our Fan Theories podcast, there is a line which reveals... Um, Uh, Lori and Kvothe's mother, her true name being Natalia Lockless. Right. So Um, this is
1: the poem that ends with not tally a lot less, which everyone has interpreted to mean Natalia Lockless, who's a character who hasn't come up yet. And we don't know anything about the Lockless family at this point in the books, which is why it goes unnoticed for a long time. And it's like such a tiny little clue, but it's pretty well accepted in the fan theories that Kavoth is a Lockless. um, And so his mother's last name being Lockless makes sense. So this is like revealing her identity. And it also makes sense that the reaction that...
0: With Melowin, yeah.
1: Oh, well, I was I was just going to say his mom's reaction to the poem. But yeah, with Melowin too, Melowin Lockless would be her sister, does not like Adimaru, Maru.
0: And her features he finds very uh, familiar.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he always says, as he looks at Melowin, he like knows her face, but he just can't place her. Yeah. Which is one of the biggest clues to me that there's got to be connections there.
0: Mm-hmm super cool
1: i think it's very clever and it's it's a pretty sneaky way to hide her name right in there which is why in this story close telling now about how her her reaction to it was that his dad had to sleep under the wagon which in the poem it says she it's like doesn't have very flattering lines about her like it says she has like a face like the blade of a knife or something but it's not like that bad mm. But if it's revealing her true identity and she is trying really, really hard to hide who she is, and he's making fun about that, that would be reason for her to react so upset about this right. poem. Obviously, none of the kids, Willems and could both pick up on. So they're like, "Why is it always men like have to sleep elsewhere?" So it kind of gives them this conversation about like their different cultures and their different like idioms and their languages and stuff, which is pretty fun. Because like Willem's said, they have to sleep next to the fire. Yeah. And Sim said they sleep in the doghouse, like in their local like phrases. Yeah. So kind of fun, like good way to connect on something. And I think it kind of just leads into them talking about different kinds of stories.
0: Uh yes, and then they're talking also about like who they fancy and like what they'd want and where if they could go anywhere, you know, where would they go if they weren't at the university?
1: Oh yeah, I forgot about this whole part.
0: And um, forever uh, Willem wanting a magical horse that fits in his pocket.
1: <laughs> I love that. I wish I could have a magical horse that fits in his
0: pocket. And then the just speculating, like, does it get bigger? Can you ride it? Like,
1: is it like a tiny little animal that lives with you?
0: Yeah, like, is it just like a little friend that hangs out in your pocket and you give it like one straw of hay a day?
1: Is it magical because it's smaller? Is it magical because it does other things?
0: Right. And I just, it's silly and I love it.
1: Willem's also really good in these few chapters about breaking tensions, and I never really noticed how he can read both Sim and Kavoth's emotions and then, like, wind them back down.
0: Yes, he is, like, the king of tact, and Denna once said he is a stone in deep water, and I feel like that is a perfect description of him, where the first few times I read this book, I was like, oh, Willem's just, like, written as, like, a supporting character, like, he balances out the group. He's the thoughtful one. I never really gave much appreciation for his character. He's a
1: very good like foil to Simon and Kavoth's friendship.
0: Yes. And I think actually, though, like, and I know people like this in real life that are... Not everyone's the loud one in the room. No. We all have those friends that are a little bit more introverted but thoughtful. And Willem is definitely that type of friend. And he's very loyal and...
1: I think I, think he's, I he's,
0: discredited his quality of character in these books for a little while
1: it's just really be, like you said he's described as like stone and deep water and Denna describes Simon as a boy splashing around in a brook
0: yeah it is like very sunny which
1: I think is perfect because like at the same time someone splashing around in a brook isn't probably noticing like who they're splashing the water onto so like Simmon's kind of oblivious and says things that sometimes like even at the beginning of this chapter is like oh are you a demaru to Kvoth? which As we know, Kavoth is very kind of hot tempered and quick to assume and just kind of like makes his own plan and does whatever he wants. So if you had Simon and Kavoth on their own, they would constantly be fighting and they'd constantly be getting into trouble and like things would be escalating all the time, like for good or for bad between the two of them. And Willem can see both of them playing against each other unintentionally, sometimes hurting each other's feelings, and always reels it back.
0: Yes. No, he's is, great at grounding his friends.
1: is where that line about, like, the miniature horse in his pocket comes from. Like, he's just using humor to deflect something here. Yes. It happens several times throughout the, this set of chapters.
0: Yeah, like, the next two, definitely. hmm So, as they're all kind of hanging out and chit-chatting, although, like... This drunken conversation is kinda of going like All off the over rails. Simon requests a story, and so Caval kinda of gives him a look, like really, but he's like, Okay. That's he's what like,
1: I mean. Like the two of them are kinda of, like butt heads sometimes.
0: Yeah. And so he's like, if you gotta go to the bathroom now, like go, because I don't wanna have to like pause. He's like, Settle in, like, here we go. Well,
1: he gives him a look because Sim says I heard the Demaru know all the stories in the world and Kvoth says like we probably do and so Sim goes tell us one which like just cuz you know the story doesn't mean people can demand it from you. Right. Anyway, that leads us into the next chapter which is fully just Kvoth's story. Yes.
0: <laughs> chapter 37, A Piece of Fire.
1: This is a fascinating chapter and it's different from every other chapter in the book
0: i love this chapter i love this story and i don't know what it is about this story but every time i read it i really get like a little emotional at the end of it and i'm just like single tear like
1: i did see you tear up when we were reading it i
0: know i don't know there's just something beautiful and pure about the story and i think it almost kind of reminds me of like a bible passage in a way
1: it's very much like a fable yeah, yeah where there's just kind of like people and then There's no, like, story arc to it. There's not, like, a huge plot. It's just, like, people do some things. We have to learn a lesson about it.
0: Yeah, and I think it goes to show everyone has value and kindness should be given without a price. And most importantly...
1: I mean, there are things that don't have monetary value as well.
0: Right, and also I think it's important to realize, like it's important to do the right thing not because you should but because
1: everyone's enriched for it
0: yeah there's just there's something very pure about like this whole story and
1: so i think we can kind of like summarize the first little part which is like there's a beggar walking along in this place fae which is most likely connected to the fae uh mostly because its name is f-a-e is the first three letters Mm -hmm. um it's a place that like isn't really a place it's just kind of like the place you're passing through on your way to other places yes and all the roads end up meeting there or something like that and you can't find it by looking but like you end up there so there's this old beggar who's like walking and he's trying to settle down for the night and there's like several fires in this like clearing and he approaches different groups and the first handful of groups all reject him for whatever reasons and it's it's like pretty bad stereotypes like there's one group that like wants him to pay for for dinner and for sitting at their fire there's one group that's like we'll make him work for us we'll tie him to our cart and he can be our donkey there's a group of adem who he recognizes them by their like mercenary reds and he knows they don't speak so he just kind of like passes by these first few groups unsuccessfully to try to find food and doesn't
0: what i do like about this and i'm not gonna go into too much detail because viewers like just Read the chapter; it's awesome. Yes, but they do provide some context and lore around the Adem of like people thinking the superstition of like them not speaking in them being fidgety. Yeah,
1: I think that's really funny. So as we find out later, obviously, like the Adem are mercenaries who don't speak that much, but it's because they have like a sign language instead of a spoken language yes and so they don't use verbal words the way the rest of the people in these books do and the way like our societies do mm-hmm. but, but like the way people have built up the lore is that like they hold all their words in and the fire like of all or like the fuel of like all the unspoken words in their body like makes them better fighters <laughs> yeah like
0: it like creates tension and power and like it it's just a, a, like a nonsense
1: concept, but and, I like, love that's it. that's why they're fidgeting, but that's actually like their hands speaking. Yeah. So it is, yeah, that's pretty interesting. But the other groups, I think we can kind of pass over pretty quickly until he gets to the Sierra Day. Yes.
0: And so there's a really interesting part where the Sierra day man is by the fire and he calls out and says like, who is there? And it's the old man. And the seer day allows him to like sit by the fire but he has no food or money to offer him because he's like completely broke himself
1: yeah he said he already gave away from helping and serving
0: others and he hardly has any food and he has to like ride like an absurd amount of miles and like fight for someone tomorrow and like needs his strength
1: and he says this crazy line about like i have to serve the greater good at all times i have to balance your need of food now with like my need of food tomorrow because i have to ride like really really far and stop this woman from being like accused in a trial or something and so like balancing out like what is the purpose yes and again it just leads us to so many questions about like what is the purpose of a sierra day and like who decides what the greater good is and how do they all how are they all allowed to act on their own accord without like being beholden to anyone if then that power doesn't ever question their actions like and whether or not that still matches the goal of the greater good. Yeah, what grounds
0: their moral compass?
1: It's so confusing. What set of
0: rules dictates what's right?
1: Right. And even if it's like, okay, if I'm ADM and I say I'm going to kill this person, no one's checking as to why. And so I feel like the concept of the greater good, quote-unquote, can get warped so quickly. Oh, of
0: course. It's probably why they got disbanded either by the church or by the commonwealth. Right. And so as this story continues, uh, the old man is just becoming more and more weary and disheartened and just exhausted from his travels yeah. until he eventually comes across a group of people.
1: Well, he decided he was just going to walk through the night yeah, and ended up seeing this fire and was like, I'll just go around it. Like no one wanted to talk to me and they call out to him and like invite him over and offer him like they give him food and water and wine and like have him sit by the fire and
0: there is a very interesting concept though where um they call out to him like what are you doing like walking through the night like don't you know the roads aren't safe and he, oh
1: that's still being said in coat's modern time
0: well that and it's a big thing to kvothe when we get a several chapters from now when he creates the um bloodless
1: oh. where it really
0: is important to him he's like no one should feel unsafe on the roads and, like, that's clearly just Ugh. the edema and, like, them always being hunted. And so... Which is
1: crazy because everyone thinks of them as the danger on the roads.
0: No, and they're just the victim constantly. mm mm-hmm. When the old man is, like, you know, explaining the situation, they're like, no nonsense. Like, you'll sit and, like, be by our fire. And so there's, like, four really powerful points to this yes where um as the old man is being like led by the arm in such a gracious way to the fire Mm -hmm. he notices that the fire isn't very large but it's burning a type of wood that doesn't very clean burning wood rena wood
1: well it's called something different in this story but it's almost the same rinna wood which is the same type of wood that the tree that the shandrian lives in is made of
0: Yes, and so that's like uh, interesting point one. Two, the fire was dug in a deepish hole, so it's not to attract attention. Mm-hmm. And one of the um maru characters from this um says like, "Oh, you know, we're not always welcome, so they always have to kind of maintain a low profile." Mm-hmm. And then like another kind of like charity point is he tells the old man like, "Have a drink of water." And like wash yourself, and he notices like that their barrel water is like very low. Yeah, and even still, like this is a complete stranger, and they're offering like a kind amount of something that is very valuable to them that they don't have a lot of. So, Mm
1: -hmm. and that also we find out at the end is like why the adimaru have this tradition of offering water first, right? And so, oh no, uh, they offer. I'm sorry, they offer wine first. But you must insist on water.
0: Right. Unintentionally, this old beggar man kind of proves himself to be worthy in the eyes of the Edema to, like, join them and become part of their family. And, like, it's just so pure and, like, wholesome of, like, they just literally call him, like, father. They sit him around the fire and, like, water and dine him with, like, a nice meal
1: And And, he like starts to cry, and he's like, "I'm not worthy of this." Yeah, like this kindness. And they ask him to join their family and like travel with him, and he's like, "You know, like I'm too proud. Like even I have my pride. Like I can't impose upon you." But they're like, "Look, we're not asking because we feel bad for you. Like we know like what it is to be outside of society, and like we want to extend the hand of like friendship with you."
0: Yeah, and there's just something about that that just really is beautiful, where you don't have to like always prove yourself to others or have something to necessarily offer like sometimes you being is just enough
1: well it's amazing because they they kind of measure your being in like the way he tells his stories because they were saying like you don't have to pay us with food or money but like We do value stories, and that's essentially, like, valuing a person for who they are and their experiences. Like, those are their stories, and it says he spends, like, many, many years with them in the end and, like, tells many stories, and they all gain many stories from their experiences together. Yes. So, like, they're using stories as a way to just say, like, who you are as a person is valuable because of, like, your lived experience, and, like, only you have that experience, so only you have those stories, and therefore, you're valuable. Yes, but that's kind of the end of the story, and there's this really interesting way Kavoth finishes the story, which is like I've heard this from the Edima Rue and so therefore I know it to be true. Yes. And there's no like kind of big climactic ending or anything. That's that's the end.
0: Chapter thirty eight. Kernels of Truth. Obviously this wasn't the most groundbreaking, like exciting story. No. <laughs> and Will and Sam, like, obviously, everyone's still really drunk. Like, that's it. Like, what? Like, yeah, the old like, beggar wasn't a magician. He wasn't
1: Tarbell the Great. He didn't like give them all a magic coin or a magic stick that would protect them forever. And it's like, no,
0: no. And so, like, they,
1: most old beggars you meet on the road are just old beggars. And so, like, why do all our stories have to be fantastical?
0: They start picking the story part a little bit where they're like, wow, like a lot of stereotypes in that and this. And there this is
1: where like Simon and Kavoth start to butt heads a little bit again,
0: yeah, and so Kavoth then reveals to Owen Sim like how his people basically had been legitimately like hunted as like
1: it's basically genocide, yeah, it is genocide, <laughs> yeah, it's messed up for so, like a like, hundred years. the government said like the roads needed to be like cleaned up or something, and so like just let people kill aedemau without any repercussions.
0: And so, Kavoth, obviously, being of these people, was very emotional and uh, defensive of what had become of his people. So, although there were some stereotypes in the story, it served to illustrate a point. Mm-hmm. And the fact was, like, yes, the Edimaru know all these like, fantastic and crazy stories, but this story is important that we tell to each other to remind us, like.
1: It's less a story and more like an oral history passed down from... an oral
0: history and i do like that he, say, he calls it a reminder because it's to remember their ways like be kind to others give others a chance like be generous
1: that's what an oral history is it's like okay you know your written history and your written like culture or unwritten culture like passed down because they don't have a written system of it because they're so such nomadic people it makes perfect sense that they pass it down through like spoken word
0: that's when Kavoth uh lets him in on like an important quote unquote family secret where <laughs> if you ever find yourself among the edema and they offer you wine first first, like always, like even if it becomes a, like a competition of like politeness of sorts, like
1: yeah, Keville says it can like escalate really quite heavily. Like you have to be like, oh no 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 no, definitely just water, no wine. Oh please, yeah, I couldn't a- possibly. Like it just keeps going higher and higher. And it it reminded me, I took Arabic in college, and like the way that greetings work in Arabic, it's like you like increase it slightly back and forth. So like, Assalam is like a pretty standard greeting, which just kind of means like hello. But then you can see like respond with like Assalamualaikum, and then like it goes back and forth and back and forth, and it's like hello. Well, hello to you. Hello to you and your family. Best wishes to you and your family. And hello, like it just keeps going up and up. And it's just like this interesting social etiquette.
0: Yeah, no, it is really interesting. And so the point I really like that Kavoth points across is if you do this correctly, they will treat you as part of the family rather than merely as a guest.
1: Yes. And I think it's also important to just align yourself because it says like, so that they know you're also like friendly with them
0: yeah which um, is
1: huge foreshadowing for all the way to the oh, end yes. of the whole book when he uh, meets the fake demaru group
0: yeah and like
1: there's gonna be a lot
0: to unpack yeah there. that i like that in due time that is like worthy of the full attention
1: oh yes uh- absolutely yeah, absolutely <laughs> but i just uh, wanted to bring up now that like this is when it's first I know. dropped as a piece of information i know
0: i really want to pick it apart but i'll be patient
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it later uh
0: and so you know then eventually everyone's kind of like wistful and staring at the stars and everyone's like oh we should probably like get back and go to bed and there's an interesting comment where i think simon asks, like if you could go anywhere where would you go yeah. And like, you know, as a joke, Kvothe's like, to bed. But like, no, really, like anywhere. And he's like, this is all I've ever wanted. You know, Cavalta's saying like, for the longest time, I always wanted to come here. Like, and now that I'm here, I can't imagine I'd be anywhere else.
1: But then they kind of point out like, you can't be here forever. Yeah,
0: like, you don't want to <laughs> be a yeah. Yeah, and so nobody wants to be Manet. They want to travel <laughs> the world and explore and do things. And so classic Willem says that he'd want to go to the Fane court. And again, he's constantly steering the conversation into, like, safer territory with humor.
1: Right. But that is interesting that Kvothe hasn't brought up, obviously, his hunt for the Chandrian, And it hasn't really connected yet that, like, they might be connected to the Fae realm. But yeah. Willem's a little bit more open about talking about, like, the Fae and kind of, like, fantasy stuff. Like, quote-unquote fantasy stuff. So I feel like he'd be a lot more receptive than yeah. anyone if Kvothe brought it up ever and he just hasn't
0: no and so uh simon is like you can't go there that's not a real place don't be dumb see that's
1: what i mean like immediately dismissing
0: yeah there is a really interesting point Kavoth brings up uh Kavoth says he would literally go among the tall people like t-a-h-l because apparently
1: he says there are nomadic people as well. They're
0: singers. Their songs can heal the sick and make the trees dance. I'd go there to find out if it was true.
1: But, like, if they're nomadic people, where are they, first off?
0: Well, I feel like it's almost like the road to Tinue or where we just mm. saw the Fae, uh, Fae Like, they're not necessarily real places, or they might be in the Fae realm, but people think of it as like an ever changing, wandering place mm. that's not quite on the map. Because it's like...
1: But it's so interesting because I don't think Will or some dispute him on them being like not real or something. Mm.
0: And the one thing I wanted to bring up about this was that um, the tall people, if they're like singers, it's um, lowercase. However, like...
1: Oh, singers is lowercase? Yeah.
0: But oh. the Chandrian fear the...
1: The singers with the capital S.
0: Yes. And so I think come book three, this is going to be something that returns...
1: It's also kind of interesting because T-A-H-L sounds similar to like Telu and the Telon church. And I wonder Mm. if there's any kind of like relation to that. Possibly. I don't know, but it's definitely, I don't think Patrick Rothfuss would put them in, like even mention them if they weren't going to come up at some point. Right. So I'm intrigued to see if they're in book three.
0: I think they're going to be.
1: I'd bet a jot. Yura.
0: (laughs) I think there's definitely more to that as we explore, but... Um, as far as uh, you know, our trio of homies here, they are starting to feel up to walking, but they asked Simon, where would you go? And he actually makes an important revelation here that he didn't necessarily plan on coming to university.
1: Well that's the thing is Kavoth just assumes everyone who's at the university really wants to be there because that's how he feels. Because you have to obviously choose to go there. It's not yeah. like you just get forced into it. Assumes most people did openly make a decision to come. And Sim didn't.
0: Yeah, he was like, I don't know where I'd go... You know, I haven't really been anywhere. One brother is inheriting. The other brother has, like, a military contract.
1: One's in the church. One's
0: in the church. The sister's going to be getting a dowry. He has another sister on top of that. And then...
1: Like, he's the last child.
0: Yeah, like, there wasn't much left for him. And so, Kavoltz was, like, speechless because he didn't know any of this. And mm. Simmon never talks about it. Nope. And then Willem is, like, while Simmons goes to, like, use the bathroom, like, in the trees... You know, Willem's like, dude...
1: Like, don't talk about Sim's yeah, family. It's
0: worse when he's drunk. Like, just let it go.
1: This is, again, Willem, like, calming the situations down. Yeah. And he did it at the beginning of the chapter, too, when Sim's like, there were a lot of stereotypes in this story. Yeah, And Willem's like, well, I have heard of some of those, and I know people who actually fit the stereotypes. And then, like, starts talking about one of the groups that, like, none of them belong to. Yeah. So he's just very tactful.
0: Yeah. H- homies alert. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's on top of it. So yeah, he kind of warns Kavoth that Simon doesn't ever go home. He was supposed to like come to the university to learn to be a diplomat, like his father sent him and Simon ended up liking alchemy and like actually like learning stuff instead. And they had this huge kind of like falling out. He hints that there was, like, some kind of bad stuff that happened between Sim and his dad. So, like, I don't know if he was, like, punished or banished or, like, cut off or something. But basically, he never goes home. His tuition is paid. And, like, that's the only relationship he has with his father.
0: Yeah. Chapter 39. Contradictions.
1: I don't remember why this chapter is called Contradictions. So let's keep an ear
0: out. It's very evident. They go to Will oh, Sim and yes,
1: yes, yes. They're in the archives. Yeah,
0: so they go to settle their bets, so to speak. And... So
1: the bets that were made at the drunkenly at the Greystone were the Will Greystone. and Kavoth betting on no
0: Sim and Kavoth about
1: well they each had a bet so Will and Kavoth bet on the Emir oh that's right so at one point during the storytelling they were talking about the disbanded disbanding of the Emir and Kavoth says it was like by the church. And Will says it was by the government. And then there's the other bet between Will and Sim about the purpose of Greystones. Yeah. So they actually do meet up to go to the library and like do research and figure out who wins the bets.
0: After a little bit of exploring the archives, they come back with stacks of books. And it's kind of an inconclusive deal with the uh, Greystones, with the uh, Simmon and Kavoth.
1: Yes. So like they end up counting through a bunch of books how many times each one yes it gets like a point in their favor and it's essentially a draw because it's like some people said pagan rituals some people said like doorways like when there's three stacked on top of each or like one stacked on top of the other kind of like a stonehenge type shape so hinting at their connection to being part of like doorways to the fey realm and then there's also ones that mention that they like were connected to some kind of old road network yeah but then weirdly briefly they mention that some of those don't make sense because there are Greystones that are like underwater or on the sides of cliffs or like places where a road would never have been which is why I think basically they must be markers in the Fae realm that kind of like imagine if you took like two maps like one of the Fae one of the regular world and like draw like poked little dots on the Fae realm in important places and then wherever that just happened to be on the other paper, on the other map, was, like, where a Greystone goes.
0: Yeah, almost kind of, like, the upside down and, like, Stranger Things.
1: Yeah, basically just like that. Yeah. Which explains their weird locations for some of them.
0: Yeah, and so there's actually an interesting little passage that um, Simmon had picked up from one of the books, and he almost kind of, like, dismisses it, and Willem's like, no, continue. Um, It says, Parents forbid their children from spending time near what Greystones when the moon is full. One well-respected... Old man claimed, and then Sim broke off. Water, blah, blah blah blah, and then Willem's like, "No, continue." And it says the man claimed men could pass through the stone door into the fair land, where Felurian herself is loving and destroying men with her embrace. And
1: foreshadowing again,
0: right? Where it's like either during a full moon or a new moon, like people can enter the realm. And again, obviously, is it just
1: during a full moon or a new moon?
0: That's what it said here.
1: Oh interesting
0: so definitely uh and again there's forever illusions and hints and notes about the moon when it's not in our sky
1: yeah like the location of the moon tends to be very important for like allowing certain things to happen or to not happen
0: yeah so just pretty interesting
1: but yeah their whole thing is a draw
0: mm-hmm. and then really weird because this is like a real world event that was only 300 years old, the disbandment of the emir.
1: I thought it was more than 300 years ago. I didn't realize it was so close in time.
0: Yeah, I don't know. More recent than we thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's all.
0: You know, one one well-respected source says that it's was under the church that led to the emir being disbanded. Mm-hmm. And then the other under, you know, the Auteur and Empire disbanding it and it leading to, like, a war and, like, all this other stuff.
1: But it's, like, two equally respected historians. Yes. And Kavos, the only one that really seems to care, um, which has probably more to do with his ongoing hunt for the Shandrian and, like, how frustrated he already is with, like, lack of fact being available. And yeah. so he's already kind of primed for his, like, un- uh, like, expecting this to happen. And so he's, like... If this is a historic event, why do we have two totally opposite sources? Like, why do these say exactly the opposite thing from each other? Like, this isn't that far in the past. This was a real event. Like, there should be actual sources on it. And and Will and Sim are just kind of like, eh.
0: yeah, it's like, no, dude. Like, this is weird. And
1: this is super weird.
0: And so they almost like are like, okay, well then, fine. We'll have another person chime in on this for the bet. And like to Kavoth, it's more than just the bet however
1: um i mean the emir is so connected to his like search with like siridae and the shandrian lately so the fact that he's getting mixed information is like very frustrating so yeah it's way more than the bet
0: Yep. And but
1: so- it finally leads them to being like all right we'll go to an outside source and get like an objective opinion as to like why this is this way and we're gonna leave the episode ending with this cliffhanger of Kavoth finally
0: getting to meet puppet yes so, exciting, exciting adventures await new characters to be revealed. And until next time, happy reading.
1: Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, check out our website, fantasticbookspod.com. Or follow us on
0: Instagram or Facebook at Fantastic Books
1: Pod. Don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Thanks. Thanks.